Here we go. Hey there, folks. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey, good morning, or good afternoon for you. How are you? Doing well. How, How is everything for you over there? I would say it's a mixed bag. I mean, pandemic is not easy for anyone. So it's not easy for me also because we miss, uh, we are end of the day social animals. We like to contact, we like to talk to people. Yes, Zoom, Facebook, all these are good, but they don't replace human touch, human connection. So that's something I'm missing. Uh, Then, of course, pandemic has its own impact on business because uh, uh, I didn't know pandemic was coming. Otherwise... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who knows uh, if I had the crystal ball, I would have started my business a few years later or maybe something differently, but I'm not sure if I had uh, started later, then it would have been different. So that's the business impact. And then uh, overall, if I look at it, it, there's also the positive side of it. The positive side is I have more time. I'm more relaxed. Imagine if I had set up my business and who knows uh, if I was uh, finding clients and not getting enough, then you could be in a challenge saying, oh, I'm not getting it now, at least have pandemic to blame, to blame if I may put it like that. Yes. And also, I have time to spend with family because sometimes uh, you need the family around. So I'm, I've spent enough time with family and I can go for a walk every day. And that's a, another privilege I have. Mm-hmm. So and a lot of time to self-reflect because you cut out on travel time. Uh, if you have to meet, there's no, uh, because otherwise in normal circumstances, I would do one hour of meeting means three hours, one hour traveling, one hour after. And a guy like me who likes to have a margin that becomes four hours because <laughs> <laughs> that's so relatable. That's, yeah. And then uh, if I, I had a, like a one day mastermind in uh, the United Kingdom, it would convert into three days because one day of travel and one day of coming back. And nowadays that happens online. So six hours and it's done. You don't even travel. So there are Mm. the upsides and the technology has, uh, adoption has increased. When I was setting my business, it was uh, as if uh, people will not accept consulting or remote uh, support for privacy and everything. So I was hesitantly saying I do this and very hesitant to put remote support or Skype support. And nowadays, everybody knows that it's remote. So I'm very happy that I can work with the people globally and uh, do that. Yeah, agreed. And and the blessing has been that uh, as the pandemic started in March, I was looking for uh, starting my podcast. I had recorded some episodes, but you know, we all procrastinate. So then in March, the lockdown happened and one weekend I had nothing to do because you can't go anywhere. Right. I said, okay, let me research how to edit a podcast. I learned and I said, let's try. And I tried. And in April, I launched it. And now this April, it'll be one year. So there have been a lot of blessings as well from the, uh, what do you say, the situation. Congratulations on that. And uh, welcome to the podcast community. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) It's fun. 
it is it is fun how do you find it uh, the podcast uh, thing because you've also been in this for almost what how should i say one and a half year little more than you so not quite a one and a half but a little more than a year yes mm-hmm. okay year and a quarter then <laughs> yeah it's enjoyable you know i think the best thing about it is obviously meeting other folks that are in our industry like yourself who are passionate about privacy and security and just want to learn more from each other and for for giving good information out to others to listen to and i think the most enjoyable and the neatest thing for our podcast is is meeting all these different people and hearing their different backgrounds because yep. everybody comes from all over the world and from many different backgrounds and it's just it's so interesting it's so it's just it's so inspiring too and and i think that uh you know it's just it's just fun i mean i love people like you were saying in nature we just love to communicate and, and interact with people it's just what we do and this is the best we can do right now with zoom um and podcasts so it's just kind of uh, grown from there and we've we're just really enjoying it and you know i was going to comment on your comment about you know being home more with the family that is definitely positive um i i will say in a a funny quote um don't get too uh too comfortable with uh being alone because it could be it could be uh something you don't want to go back from because <laughs> being alone can be comfortable that's true uh, i think the balance would be somewhere between where we are and where we were but mm-hmm. neither we will be back to 2019 nor we will stay in 2020 or early part of 21 right yeah. well um that's great we can kick off our show though and um yeah. you know one of the things that you you have a lot you have a pretty diverse background too and i'm really interested to hear about your story Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I'm your host Cameron Ivy, and with me as always is Mr. Gabe Gums. Gabe, how you doing today? Living the dream, my friend, living the dream. How are you? Fantastic. It's Friday. It's always a always a good Friday when you're recording uh with a with a wonderful guest that's on. Um so first of all, his name is Punit Bhatia, and he has a pretty diverse background. He helps DPOs, CPOs, COOs, manage privacy risks. He has his own podcast that he started back in April, uh, Fit for Privacy. But I'll, I'll go ahead and let him kind of talk, tell his story. But uh, welcome to the show, Punit. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's a wonderful podcast and wonderful service that you're bringing to others, bringing inputs from different uh, privacy stakeholders, privacy professionals, and helping people learn from different and diverse backgrounds, because that's the beauty of privacy. it's up to interpretation security it's up to interpretation and we learn from others much more than we learn from ourselves because we know what we know but with others we become stronger and better together so thanks so much for doing the work and having me here absolutely um if you want to and i appreciate you saying that because this is extremely enjoyable that's why we do this um on on our you know side <laughs> so first of all let's just start the show off with kind of introducing you to our listeners and ourselves just to hear your your story where you came from and how you got into privacy and security sure so you want me to start from 1699 <laughs> in the before times <laughs> that works okay. yeah in modern times <laughs> yeah wait a minute wait a minute doc ha 
Are you telling me that you built a time machine? So in modern times, uh, let's start from 1999, because that's when I started my professional career. So that was in India. And as an engineer, what you do is you get into IT. Because mm-hmm. in India, usually you have a phase. And that time the phase was get into IT, do an engineering, get into IT. That's what I did. And uh, I very easily found out that I don't fit in uh, into the culture or hierarchy stuff. And then I happened to get an opportunity to be in South Africa. And I said, wow, oh, you can be not in a hierarchical culture. You can be exchanging ideas freely and so on. And then I worked there for three years. And then I came back. And my one mission was to get out into anywhere in the world. And I had the good fortune of coming to Belgium or uh, traveling in Europe. And then since 2006, I've been in Europe, but that was location-wise. Let's look at it from career-wise. So I started as an IT developer, IT trainee, then grew into project management, program management, relationship management. And I was fortunate enough then to have an opportunity to do an MBA and get into IT sourcing and vendor management. And that part, program management and IT sourcing, vendor management, I liked because you can see I love to talk. So so listen to people, understand, interpret, and talk. What- hey, we all three of us here love to talk. <laughs> we have a so, problem. We have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I also have a podcast. But mm-hmm. I'm glad when I get the opportunity to talk rather than ask. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then uh, in uh, 2012, I got the opportunity for IT sourcing and vendor management. And then I, as in a bank, I explored the world of compliance, risk, regulations, And eventually I wanted to get there. In between, I was in the digital channels as a senior program manager. And in 2015, I was looking to make a change within the bank. And somebody said, well, there's a data privacy project. They have a policy from the group. And four project managers or program managers have left in two years. I said, well, that's that's the one for me. Because I like to do things (laughs) (laughs) which others don't want to do. Usually at that time, I was, okay, let's go. So I joined there and very soon I was doing well and I stayed there one and a half, two years, 2015 to 16, almost uh, yeah, 16 and a half or uh, towards the end of 17. And then they appreciated my work. By the way, that was GDPR project. Okay. And I understood it was not a data policy. It was not an IT project. It was a bank-wide data privacy implementation. And then I went to the COO, explained him saying, well, it is the four letter word, GDPR. It's going to have that impact and, you know, the fines and everything we talk about. So initially it was the enthusiasm, but eventually I learned that it's a good topic. And since then I've stayed in it. Then I had the good fortune of going to ING Corporate and working out with the team an implementation plan for 30 plus countries to roll out in wholesale, retail and so on. And as I was doing that, I started to understand myself better, perhaps with age or perhaps with whatever you say. And then I said, okay, let me write a book. I started public speaking. I wrote a book, Be Ready for GDPR, and which coincidentally was named as the best ebook on GDPR. Uh, I hope it is still the best <laughs> because he's writing. <laughs> well, I, we we need to put that in the show notes, by the way. So that's that's fantastic. Yeah, thanks. You. Where can you get your book? Uh, Amazon. <laughs> Amazon. There you go. Yeah, so you can get my book on Amazon. It's ebook and print book available in both. And then that shifted my career because I was more a corporate-oriented employee and I started to feel entrepreneurial a bit. And I was speaking and I'm an introvert. So what it meant when I was speaking at events, 
I don't need to worry about my introvert approach because people would come to me and talk to me. And then it shifted me and I was also in a global role. So people tend to come to you with questions and everything. Uh, so that helped. And then I had the good fortune after that to get into more run the business, run the privacy show, meaning be a privacy officer for the bank. And then I had the good fortune of working for Stanley Black & Decker as a global privacy manager uh, for the security operations across the globe. So all this meant that I had explored the privacy field quickly in a span of five to six years. And, you know, when you do that, then you have two options, either to sit quietly and enjoy or else to find something where you kind of feel the pain and feel the challenges and have some energy to do something. And I chose the second one. So I chose to be launching my company. Initially, I called it Ake Advisory. And then I switched to brand called Fit for Privacy, wherein we have this podcast, wherein we help DPOs and CXOs or COOs or CPOs in multinational companies with privacy strategy, creation of culture and training. And the idea is also that if some CPO or DPO wants some coaching, I'm also selectively open to that, but not everyone because that I do it for fun and joy. But the other part is where I'm more active. And then we created what we called, I was seeing the market, something called, uh, do we say, trainings and awareness. That's a different concept. We can get to that later in the show. But I created training specific for each department because somebody in procurement, having been in procurement, why would they care there's something called GDPR? Get lost. I don't care. Rights and everything. You tell me when I'm doing my contract, what do I have to change? Where and how? That's it. Mm -hmm. So I developed trainings that are specific to each department. And in between, I wrote my book, Be an Effective DPO. Uh, and then I wrote uh, the book, Introduction to GDPR. And then I wrote recently, which is coming next month, is AI and Privacy. So that's another one. So essentially, from a place six years ago, when I was an introvert and I was happy being a corporate, now I'm an entrepreneur and we help uh, people. So that's my journey or that's my story of how I got into privacy. And I'm so far so happy and I want to stay in privacy or I intend to stay in privacy. But who knows? I don't have still a crystal ball, which I was looking for six years ago. <laughs> that is a fascinating journey. And I want to talk more about your writings because you've you've put a lot on paper for the world to consume, which I happen to think is fabulous, by the way, because one of the things I, I always try to get out of our guests is what can we leave behind for our listeners that's tangible, that they can they can yeah. go and, and be actionable with um, right now. So, you know, if I look at your first book, uh, Be Ready for GDPR, uh, you when you put that out, uh, GDPR was still well, just on its way into to being fully implemented. And where we're at now with the book that you have coming out, what's what significantly changed that uh, that you that you're educating your readers on today that you hadn't been then? That's a very interesting question. So when in 2016, I was looking at market or 17, when I published my book, the challenge was I wanted to do something and I wanted to bring my message to the world. First, I thought about creating a product, but you know, switching from an employee to entrepreneur in two months, that doesn't happen like that. <laughs> so I talked to a few people and it didn't work. Then I said, how best can I bring my message? I wrote my book, but the emphasis was what is GDPR and how do you get it implemented? Those two dimensions. Mm 
<laughs> then when i did my b and effective dpo the emphasis was uh how can you do you need a dpo how can you need one and how can one be effective and i think it needs a refresh now in the current setup because that's no no longer relevant while the be ready for gdpr even in a new privacy context like say canada or india or brazil somebody can read it and find it relevant mm-hmm. now but when i write ai and privacy today it's a different dimension gdpr has been here for 3 years almost uh new technologies are coming we have seen a pandemic people are asking different questions and privacy is no longer like uh, in 2017 is it for me is it not for me the question is everybody wants to do it and everybody has its own style and everyone is finding how that style is and then the skeptics are saying ai i think we can't do ai without privacy or with privacy and then, so there's a debate of different nature and then facebook or apple are changing the way of working and that's creating another debate so if i put all that in context the question is how do you find balance between ai and privacy and mm-hmm. that's what we bring to our readers and we give a perspective because it's not an and or debate it is both together and having a balance ai is here to stay and so is privacy okay people have talked enough about 3 years and tried to pull down and i still find some articles interestingly having a very nice perspective saying gdpr is gone and all that but end of the day if it's gone why are you writing about it still <laughs> <laughs> it still get some media attention yeah so i just want to i want to go i guess not really back but what i want to take it a little personal and and ask you what what made you so intrigued about privacy way back you know 6 years ago or when you decided to really hone in on it what what was there anything from your life that personally kind of hit you that made you want to dive into this this realm well it happened over the years and it evolved as i said i always love a challenge so the initial thing was okay what is it that four or five program managers have left and i have to see if i'm able to hold it and so that was initially the challenge part of it and then as i got in i was talking to legal colleagues and compliance colleagues and saying what is gdpr explained to me in the first week and everybody was like it's not possible and then i said okay can you give me a presentation and then i got a presentation with all text and i'm a guy who likes uh, some uh, slides and some images and so on i said no i need it on a page and then the legal guy said mm, not possible i said okay next week in the next meeting i'm bringing it on a page and you're going to tell me so i brought it on a page 12 blocks and he said you know how legal guys are <laughs> yeah you know it covers most of the requirements but i think it's okay however if you go into the detail then there are a lot of other things and i said okay do you find anything at a higher level helicopter view missing and he said well you can say it's okay and i said that's the best i can get from a legal guy <laughs> so that initially was the challenge but as i overcome that challenge the complexity intrigued me because to solve that complexity to explain that to people to make it simpler to people was one of my uh values is s- simplify the complex if i call it like that so it was the complex enough to simplify and it gave me gratification that explaining it to people and eventually i also found it relevant to me because when i was working in the it projects 
because the typical challenge I was facing was in uh, emotional sense, since you asked, we make a project and we say, okay, let's go right. We will centralize. Next CIO comes three years later. No, we go left. And then now we are going to decentralize. And what happens to the application? We rewrite. And I was like, what did I solve? What did I bring? And then same way, we go waterfall. No, we go agile. And then, no, let's do half waterfall and half agile. But what am I bringing in, in terms of people connectivity? Okay, you end of the day, serve the customer and so on. So privacy, I found a correlation. And privacy is something we all need, but we don't know how we will get it. So there's the abstractness. You know, abstract meaning your definition of privacy, Gabe's definition of privacy, mine. And if I talk to 100 people, 100 definitions. Like if I ask you your name, that's fine. If you ask your girlfriend's or, or partner's name, probably fine. But when I ask your bank account number, hmm, and then it, it starts. So privacy is different for everyone. So that abstractness, that interpretation, that complexity, that challenge, all those things combined, it keeps me intrigued. It's a great answer. I was I was just thinking. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking when you were saying um, you could probably play 21 questions with somebody and uh, get them to answer a few things if you're good at it. <laughs> the snap, the quick uh, question game, just uh, if you wanted to, but that's great. So why don't we talk Why don't we talk a little bit about Fit for Privacy, your company, and aside from the podcast, what, what, is, what does that structure look like? What is, the, what is the perfect structure for security and privacy look like for a company? I mean, that's... Two parts to the question, if I see it, and let me handle that in two parts then. Yeah, of course. So one is what does fit for privacy do and what does security and privacy correlate to? Mm -hmm. So fit for privacy is all about helping people, as the name says, fit for, because there's nothing called 100% compliance in privacy. But you can be fit for it and you can be resilient enough, you can be capable enough to manage the risk because it's risk managed approach. Nobody can say, and if somebody's saying, I would start to doubt them that I'm 100% compliant. You look at the risk, you manage the risks, and you choose a certain approach, and then you have a defensible position saying, this is how I'm seeing. And that gets into the privacy strategy, privacy vision, and then creation of a culture. Uh, I mean, I've seen one company, they had the value called transparency in their, uh, what do you say, uh, values. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to publish their internal privacy policy as well as the privacy statement on the website. And then I go to another one and they, of course, did not have privacy, uh, sorry, transparency in their values. And I try hard to convince them to put internal privacy policy on website. And they were like, well, it's competitive. I mean, guys, you have extracted from 200 pages of GDPR, 10 pages. And how is it competitive? <laughs> so... But it's a mindset thing. So that's uh, what Fit for Privacy helps. Get you into a mindset, get you into a culture of being fit for privacy through creation of a privacy strategy if you need one, helping you create a network of people because DPO is there, but you need mm -hmm. a network or a cultural change. And then train and make people aware. And I differentiate between training and awareness in sense. Not everybody needs to be trained in privacy. Trained in privacy means I'm knowledgeable and I can act. Aware about privacy is I know enough to ask the expert. And then there's the in-between. I'm a procurement officer. I need to know when I have to do my contract. What do I need to change? I know that much. So there are levels of training and levels of awareness. So that's what we provide. 
online and at uh, in a repetitive mode because uh, not everyone has the time to create slides again and again and dpos want it accessible every time new guy joins they don't want to be sending slides they want somebody speaking so we provide online training that's fit for privacy in short uh, of course, uh, if you want, as you can understand, I can talk about it for one <laughs> day or two days. <laughs> uh, coming to the other part, that was security and privacy, right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's simple. There's no privacy without security in the modern world. Because in old days, when I had my photograph, I could keep it in my home and okay, I protect my privacy. But today it will be somewhere digital, whether on my PC or on cloud, and it needs to be securely protected. If it's not secure, I can talk about privacy, but it doesn't work. So in Mm -hmm. the modern world, it's all about security and privacy. And there's no debate which one is important. Both are equally important. Security first, privacy second. And both are different. Security is all about making sure the asset or the data remains or is accessible to those who should. But then privacy is more the debatable, softer skill of saying, should it be accessible? Should it be accessible to him or her? Or is this what we want it to be accessible? Is it less? Is it more? Or why do we need to do it? What do we do with it? So privacy has a different dimension around it. You mentioned something that I do want to talk a bit more about. Training. And early in the show, you talked about, you know, how is a procurement officer supposed to know? And a lot of times we talk strategically about making it personal to them. And I like your tactical approach of offering training to them. So what are some of the things you focus on when, when you're talking to people who don't have privacy or security in their titles, when this isn't their day job, how do you bring tactical advice to them that is practical, that they can carry out? So, I mean, any conversation we have with anyone, there are two parts or three parts, the what, the why, and the how. Because if you don't clarify on the what and the why, and you start talking about, hey, Mr. Uh, Mr. Procurement Officer, this is how you do it. And you'll say, why do I need to do it? So you need to convince them. And then you need to explain them the what. So that's the way I would approach any conversation on training or awareness. First, explain them what is privacy, but don't talk about the GDPR, the CCPAs, or the LGPDs. Talk about privacy from their common you know, one-to-one perspective. You are Mr. X. Would you be okay if I ask you your name? Yes. Would you be okay if I ask your girlfriend name? Probably. Would you be okay if I ask your bank account password? Certainly not. So <laughs> you have a limit. Now, Mr. Gabe may be okay till the second question, Mr. Cameroon, certainly a third question. And I may be okay on the third question with a question saying, would you transfer money in? Then I give you my bank account. You don't need the password. (laughs) (laughs) So we bring in the security dimension. And then, so that's what you need to explain. So that's called privacy. Decision, your choice on what you share and with who, that's privacy in that essence. Then you get into the second dimension. Why is it important? Like it's important for you, it's important for your clients. But now your company has a risk appetite or a risk exposure, like the fines. But fines is one element. People are more scared about reputational risks, the class action suits, and the legal consequences. 
So that's the risk for your company. So you explain them and then you get into something like, so what can you do? So you have explained them the what and the why. What can you do? So in your role, these are the 10 broad requirements, but you still haven't talked GDPR or CCPA or do not sell or consent or all those elements, even for marketing. And then you explain them when you are in a situation. So procurement guy, when you are making a contract, do due diligence. For marketing guy, when you're launching a campaign, think about have you been transparently telling the customer what you're doing? Have you asked them that they are okay to collect data rather than introducing consent? And then uh, also saying, do this, this, this. So give them a kind of a checklist in scenarios. Scenario, ad campaign. Scenario, new contract. Scenario, new supplier. Scenario, update of contract. And then those scenarios, you explain them the how. So when you've done that, what, why, how, they probably would have bought in from their own perspective. Now, if you do that with a board, then the discussion completely changes because there it's stakeholder return, reduction in uh, increase in sales, not reduction in sales, <laughs> uh, uh, increase in operational efficiency. And then you have data on those elements also. And then you use that data to say, you want more customer loyalty. Privacy research says, if you do this, your customer loyalty increases by X percent. Would you be interested? And then eventually say, do you want to do this? So by the way, that's privacy. And that's so you start there with the stakeholder return and the returns from privacy and start other way. So that's how the what changes, the why changes, and the how, though it's the same story, but uh, picking from a different end, if I can say like that. What I take away from that, and this is a bit of a breakthrough on this show at least, is that you did make it personal at first. You you told the story, you made it personal, you used the bank account, their girlfriend, and then you gave them real-world use cases that were applicable to their roles. And I don't know that I've seen a lot of that in the real world, at least you know, in privacy. Hell, I'm not even sure how, how well I see that being executed in the security side of the world, the make it personal coupled with the the, the, the very tangible use case in their world. So that's that's excellent. Um, I'm going to make sure we, we, we call that one out in the show notes for users as well. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, let's say that you're working with uh, a company or a certain title uh, that you work with. They tell you, okay, Poonit, I, I only have a $100 budget. Where do I start with security and privacy? What's the first thing you would tell them? First thing I would tell them is keep it with you because in $100, you can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need that money more than me. Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> Take me out to dinner. I'll tell you what I can do for you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I would say keep it with yourself. That's easy because, or rather, that's a good idea. In $100, let's have a lunch or dinner, and I will tell you what you need to do. So, but let's put it like, say, $10,000 or something like that. Then mm-hmm. it'll be interesting. And I would say, I would invest the entire money into security because that's what you need. And for privacy, I would count on my skills to convince them, cajole them to do more. Because privacy uh, security is needed and I know that much about it. And I would say, go and talk to a company, maybe Spirion or maybe anybody else and get the security in place. And for me, I will convince them on privacy. So I'll put the entire money with them, whether it's 100 or 10,000 on security and a little bit effort on getting them to convince on privacy and get things going. It's a fair point. It, it said another way, you can't have privacy without security. 
Yes. Uh, yeah, you, you certainly, you, you can, yeah, that's great. So where do you think, where do you see security and privacy going over the next few years, just with how the pandemic has changed things from working from home more, um, things being not as, uh, as secure, not knowing if all your employees are using VPNs, that kind of thing to uh, connect to the, the, the company's network. But I mean, where do you see things going? Obviously, this is still a very new uh, realm, and it, which is probably why you took it as a challenge to jump into everything that you have on top of it, making it personal. But where do you see security and privacy going over the next few years? I wish I had a crystal ball, but from where I can imagine uh, rather than see is uh, I look back 12 to 15 months ago. And we were focused a lot on if you go to a bank saying, we need identity verification and we need your card and they want to see everything. And now in today's world, it has become all digital, thanks to pandemic. They're inventing ways on how they can authenticate you online, how they can validate your identity. But it has also created a world in which there are greater opportunities for those who have not so good intentions. Like what they can do is they can create synthetic identities, and create more fraud. So in function of that new world that we are getting into, there will be more advanced security techniques. There will be more artificial intelligence to detect fake personas, uh, detect synthetic identities, detect fraud, detect uh, any, uh, what do you say, cyber uh, security risks. Mm -hmm. And along with it, what will happen is, there will be systems to counter it. I was talking to a CEO of security firm and he was sharing with me how they are helping with digital identity fraud because there's a real person, they create a very similar profile and they create a synthetic identity and then the bank or the institution thinks it's fine. Then they do some lightweight transactions and then after six months, a big transaction and big switch and then disappear. And you end up going to the real identity while there was a synthetic identity. So those kind of things will increase. And my imagination or prediction, if I may call it, without having that crystal ball, is in 10 years or so, say 2030, this space will be completely different from what it is right now. And very much technology-oriented, artificial intelligence-oriented, robotics-oriented, and... Uh, very ubiquitous world, if we call it like that, meaning you don't need to come and present a physical evidence. It can be done digitally because mm -hmm. we will learn from the pandemic in that sense, being digital and making things easier. It's very true. There's a segment I want to do called Fix Your Privacy. Mm -hmm. I think this is a, a good one to ask you on. What do you think is one thing most companies or CISOs or people in the, the, the power to make a change in their company's privacy. What do you think there's one thing that they're not doing today that they could do tomorrow? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting one. So there's a way of managing privacy. You can manage privacy or manage privacy as a risk, as a compliance, as a management function, or saying we want to have an organizational culture change. And there's the next stage, the final stage, wherein you want to use privacy as a competitive differentiation. So most people from where I see, maybe I'm meeting not the, the other ones, but I see like Tim Cook and others are putting in privacy as a differentiator in Apple. But most of the people are busy either managing privacy as a risk or compliance issue and taking it like that. 
Some of them are looking at it as a cultural change in organization, but very, very few are looking at it privacy as a differentiation. Privacy as a competitive differentiation saying, hey, come to us, we protect your privacy. We don't do anything with your data. We tell you what we do with it. And we are compliant, not only with GDPR, but even a step higher. Why should we say GDPR is the gold standard? The gold standard can be even a little bit better, or if not gold, platinum standard. This is what we offer you. And we are compliant with all laws rather than saying, yeah, in EU, we are compliant with GDPR. For the rest, we are compliant with all the local laws. Basically, you're saying we do what we want to do. So... (laughs) (laughs) I think think the biggest, uh, and I don't know if you see this, but I think I've mentioned this in the show before, but the biggest disadvantage for a lot of people nowadays is that I still think companies are so separated when it comes to how they have their different departments and privacy is kind of, you know, eh, yeah, we'll handle it over there. But I think, I think if you, I think the cultural change is the biggest. And when it comes to having that company believe in protecting what matters most, which is the customer's data that they have or their, the personal data from the company, whether, whatever it is. But I, I think that that would, definitely help in the next few years. And I think it's going to, it's going to get there for a lot of companies and they're still, you know, working on it, but that's just my opinion. But I fully agree with that. I think uh, looking at the ones who are focused on risk and compliance, the internal issue is it's silo based or departmental mm-hmm. based. And they think we've hired a DP or put a privacy team as it's done, but it doesn't work like that. Having a privacy team means you have somebody to ask, but you got to do it. And you got to do it, meaning that's where I call the privacy champion network or privacy network, which is an element of privacy culture, meaning you need to put the responsibility in the business and on the business. Mm -hmm. That's the department heads to say, I will do privacy in this way. And the DPO or the privacy team is there to guide. That's why I'm working on writing an article saying why growing your privacy team is not a good idea because most DPOs I talk to, they say, I don't have budget. I can't grow my team. And I just tell them, you can grow your team. No, no, I'm not against it. But having grown your team, you need a privacy champion network. That's each of the businesses. Having a person who understands privacy, who's your eyes, ears, and hands on the ground. Because you cannot run the whole business for the business. They will run the business, but you will help them with privacy. So you will guide and coach them in a different way. I love that thinking. It reminds me of that episode we did, Gabe, with uh, Nishant because Nishant comes from a different background and he, he, he's basically, he kind of preaches that. Very much. Yeah. So shout out to Nishant. I don't know if you've listened to that episode or not, but if you haven't check it out because it's it's great. (laughs) Um, No, not a shameless plug, but just, (laughs) (laughs) so is there anything that, uh, that we didn't bring up uh, Pune that, that you want to talk about that you feel um, should be brought up. There are a lot of things I can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything that you want to promote or uh, anything we can share on the, the notes that we haven't talked about besides all, all your books, because apparently you have like five or six New York bestsellers that uh, people need to 
need to I get wish New York bestsellers, and I don't know how uh, the book authority ranked it as the best GDPR book, but I'm <laughs> happy it is. But New York bestseller has a completely different uh, benchmark in oh, privacy. Their, their benchmark is easy. You just have to buy a hundred thousand of your own books. <laughs> uh, that would have been difficult. <laughs> Yes, that is that is the secret to getting on the New York bestsellers list. It's all the publishing houses just buy up a ton of their own books, and uh, that increases the sales. I think I need to wait for that. Uh, I'm not there yet. No. <laughs> well, fair. this has been a pleasure, though. Your your book, your latest book. Tell me again one more time. What's the name of it? The latest book is AI and Privacy, so Artificial Intelligence and Privacy, and we focus on how to find balance, and it's coming on 8th of April. And uh, yeah, we'll have it around the corner, around the corner, indeed. Um, So let's do our last section and we'll wrap it up. This is our fun section, our deep, dark secrets to get to know you just a little bit more outside of of your career and everything. So um, let's let's just start with an easy one, which is what is your biggest pet peeve? What do you mean? Uh, your biggest pet peeve, something that annoys you. Oh, okay. What annoys me? Asking about his girlfriend's bank account. <laughs> <laughs> That's her problem then. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, he didn't. That's her privacy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so, what thing that annoys me is uh, I'm a perfectionist and I like to have the results quickly. And as I'm an entrepreneur, I need to have more patience and let go of the perfectionist because done is generally better than perfect. Mm -hmm. So if I keep on holding on and on and on, then it's no good. It's better out with customers, better out with uh, prospects and better out with people. Let people judge rather than me. So that sometimes annoys on most times annoys me and I'm learning to be a little bit more uh, let it be and let others judge rather than me judging myself and uh, being a critique of my own work. And that is so relatable, especially in 2021, where pretty much everything is like instant. I mean, yeah. we're talking about a company like Amazon, where you order something, you can almost have it there in less than 24 hours. You can have it there same day, depending on what it is. Yeah. So that's, that's super relatable. And I can concur with that. <laughs> If you could start a secret conspiracy, what do you think it would be? Hmm. Secret conspiracy. <laughs> I would say your data is gold and then I will put a number to it. Your data is worth this much. Your name is worth this much. This is worth this much so that people can have more awareness about privacy and they realize when they are sharing their data, email or date of birth and things like that, it has value attached to it. So that becomes easier for people to match and associate with privacy. Because right now, some people say, no, it's gone. It's, I mean, it's all over the web. The big tech has it, so it's too late. And why? yes, uh, laws always lag technology. Technology is always running ahead and then laws come in to drain it in, drain it in. But uh, I would then put value to data and privacy and then make it easier for people to understand, oh, no, this is worth 100 euros. I'm not going to give it to you unless and until you give me $100 or euros. I like it. Now, this is a serious one. Would mm-hmm. you consider cereal soup? Cereal, why or why not? Cereal soup. 
interesting. If I put too much milk in cereal, it will feel like a soup. So I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. And, you know, my first initial thought was it's not soup because when I think of soup, I think hot. But yeah. But there are cold soups, right? People eat cold soups, I think. Yeah, I didn't go into the hot and cold. I got into the dimension of liquidish. Yeah. I think it's fair, though. If you get a cereal that's in too much milk, it's going to soggy up real quick. <laughs> that's that's a soup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if you could be invisible for one day, what would you do? Hmm. Invisible. I would first find Corona and ask, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Oh, if it was a person. <laughs> it's a bacteria, so it's a living organism. <laughs> that's true. God, that's a point. That's a good point. <laughs> corona. <laughs> um, what, what's your favorite snack been this last year during the pandemic since you've been at home more? Hmm. More been uh, cereals and the breakfast. So yeah, cereals usually. So Cereal, that's quick. Yeah. That's healthy, and it gets you started quickly in the morning because you tend to you know relax in the morning, get up a little bit late because you don't have to travel, and you take that extra half an hour, and then yeah. you try to squeeze in time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> breakfast equally great. The judges will allow it. Yes. I think cereal for a lot of most people is uh, just a one of those like eat it whenever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Cuz of the crunch, it's the crunch, it's the I don't know, it's just an easy snack. Yeah. It also um, kicks in the dopamine or whatever they call it because once you have it you want to have the second bowl. Mm. And and then you tend to get into it or in the afternoon sometimes I have the craving of eating something sugary and then I would have the cereals. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also the processed carbs, so it's yeah. definitely easier to, I want more, because you don't yes. really feel full. But would you say that, um, this could be debatable, but would you say that it wouldn't be cereal if it didn't change the color of the milk? Because <laughs> 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 I don't know. Well, what if it was like some kind of whites or like Cheerios? Cheerios doesn't change the color of the milk or does it? I don't know. Well, what I'm saying is, is it is it sugary enough? Is it is it a cereal? Like, because there's some healthy cereals out there that are that don't change the color. <laughs> well, basically, everything my mom gave me as a kid then, right? Is like sugary <laughs> cereals were not an option. <laughs> <laughs> like we're talking bare bones, rice crispy. Oh, yeah, no, no rice crispy. No, 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 no. Like whatever, those are good though. Whatever the name yeah. brand version of rice crispy, the store brand version of rice crispy was that the soy brand, <laughs> like rice pops. <laughs> Yeah, rice pops are good. They are. You can sprinkle a little sugar on that. Really delicious, and it's crunchy and simple. Um, if you if you had a time capsule and you had to put something in it and then open it in 10 years, what, what would you put in it today? Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. And that makes me think. Hmm. You know what? I'm a privacy guy, and that's what I people know me about. But I also have the other identity, which is around uh, being a coach, a life coach, or call it, I help people with writing books and so on. So I'm uh, coaching some of my friends and some other clients on life side of things, 
because it intrigues me. And sometimes I wonder, 10 years from now, if I had a choice, how much time would I be devoting to privacy and how much would I devote to that? So I don't know. But if I had a time capsule, I would go find out and then optimize my uh, you know, sp- expense of energy into that side, which I would see in 10 years. Does it make sense? Yeah. That's an interesting answer. I didn't, um, usually people would just, you know, pick a physical thing, but I like it. Uh, Last question. What's your favorite movie of all time? Favorite movie of all time. No pressure. No pressure, indeed. (laughs) I think... uh, I don't watch too many movies first thing first, but the ones I watch, I generally remember them because I believe uh, uh, watching movies or TV, it's an expense of time. And I try to use my time in other ways. So the couple of movies that come in, it's hard to choose. I mean, uh, let me ask a backup question. What's your second favorite podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Second favorite. Privacy, please. There it is. Oh, man. <laughs> Was, we'll is take... that a podcast? It's an absolute pleasure. Um, it's great having another a, another podcaster on the show, especially someone covering privacy from a different perspective. There's uh, certainly plenty of space and room in, 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 the, in, in our universe for it. So, for, for our listeners, I hope you go check it out. It's Fit for Privacy with Punipatia. Um, he's got a couple of new books on the way out, so check those out as well. We'll make sure we put those we'll put those in the show notes. Uh, any parting words for our guests? Parting words. I think privacy is important. Do take good care of it for yourself and your organization, not because there's a law, but because it's important for you and your customers. Love it. Well, thank you so much uh, for what you do and for coming on our show and taking the time. We really appreciate it and really enjoyed our conversation. So um, we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. It was a fun conversation, much fun than expected. Because when I listened to some of the episodes, I was like, how will I manage this? Because I'm a serious kind of a guy and uh, I don't have that lighter side, but you guys make me so comfortable and ask such Wonderful questions, insightful questions, which probed me to think. So I really enjoyed my time. So thank you so much for having me. And hey. keep on doing this show. Right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I just wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week. And to all of our amazing guests for coming on. I know that there are millions of other shows and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend, have them tell their friends, and then make maybe make some new friends along the way uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ, can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week. Next week.